0: Welcome to the Climate Report on Forward Radio, WFMP 106.5 FM Louisville. This is Hart Hagen, your host, and we are on episode number 199. Today's topic is Bernie's Green New Deal, Part 1. So we'll be reading through Bernie Sanders' Green New Deal and commenting on it. As I speak, it's uh, September 1st, 2019, and Bernie's Green New Deal was released within the last couple weeks. This program is part of WFMP's Public Affairs Educational Programming. The views expressed are those of the speaker and not the station. If you have any comments, questions, or feedback, please email info at theclimatereport.net. You can also find more of this content by visiting theclimatereport.net. So Bernie Sanders released his own version of the Green New Deal on uh, sometime in August 2019. First, a brief history of the Green New Deal. So the Green New Deal was first introduced by the Green Party in the uh, somewhere around 2008. So it's been around approximately 10 years. And then in early 2019, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez made the Green New Deal a household word by introducing her version of it in Congress. Also about that same time, the DSA, Democratic Socialists of America, released their seven principles that should govern any Green New Deal that gets released. So the Green New Deal is not so much a law as it is a policy agenda. And by Green New Deal, we are saying that the people of America and the people of the world need a new deal. It's like a social contract. It's like, here's how we are going to interact with each other. Here's what we are going to promise each other. And any Green New Deal worthy of the name is not going to be the same old, same old capitalist free-for-all that we have had up until now. Any Green New Deal worthy of the name is also going to have things like democratic reforms and financial reforms. Any Green New Deal worthy of the name is going to allow the people of a democracy to determine what kind of economy we are going to have, how the economy is going to work. We're not going to have this unfettered, unregulated free market, which is only free in proportion to the money that you have. A free market is not free if you don't have any money. So free market is terribly inconsistent and free market is not any kind of consistent theory but it has been imposed upon us and it is entirely inconsistent with actual democracy because in democracy you're supposed to have one person one vote but the free market is one dollar one vote and the free market as inconsistent as it is has even permeated our political system in that our political system is no longer a democracy. Our political system is a plutocracy where you have one dollar, one vote. So that is something that's going to be a thing of the past if we can fully implement a Green New Deal. So let's start, and I have numbered Bernie Sanders' Green New Deal in like, Paragraphs. It's about 13,000 words, so it's about 30 pages. To keep track of where we are, there's 165 paragraphs. So let's start with number one. Paragraph one in Bernie Sanders' Green New Deal The climate crisis is not only the single greatest challenge facing our country, it is our single greatest opportunity to build a more just and equitable future, but we must act immediately. So it says here that the climate crisis is the single greatest challenge facing our country. So the powers that be don't want you to know this. The powers that be don't want you to know that the climate crisis is the single greatest challenge facing our country. They want you to think that the challenges facing our country are military threats. They want you to think that ISIS is a great threat facing our country. They want you to think that China and Russia are threats facing our country. They want you to think that Iran and Venezuela are great threats threats facing our country. They want you to think that North Korea and Cuba are great threats facing our country, and the reason they want you to think this is because that's how they build up the military industrial complex. So currently, public policy is established on the basis of that which helps the very rich. That's why I say we have a plutocracy. We have a government of the wealthy, of the wealthy, for the wealthy, by the wealthy. We're supposed to have a government of the people, by the people, for the people. If we did have a government of the people, by the people, for the people, then we would be addressing those things that are the greatest threats to people. But instead, what we have are these false threats. That's the way you get people to spend a lot of money on the war machine, is that you have false threats. You cultivate, even going back decades, you cultivate the idea that the Russians are a threat to us. But the Russians and the Chinese are not the greatest threats to us, if they're even threats at all. Cubans and the North Koreans are not threats to us. Iran and Iraq are not threats to us. What is a threat to us is the uh, ecological devastation caused by the war machine, the ecological devastation caused by out-of-control capitalism. Because it's out-of-control capitalism that has cleared the rainforest and is burning the rainforest, is burning Amazon. It's out-of-control capitalism that has given us a completely unsustainable food system. It is out-of-control capitalism that is causing the climate to warm. So these are great threats to us. So let's focus on real threats, not false threats. So I saw a clip the other day from Fox News, and what it was saying was that climate change is the religion of the left. And the real threats to our country are ISIS and all these others. So that may sound over-the-top ridiculous to some of us, but it's not just Fox News, and it's not just a Republican thing. You have on MSNBC and CNN and the mainstream Democrats mainstream meaning the the democratic leadership, which is really not the mainstream of our country, but the democratic leadership and their channels of communication are also misrepresenting the climate threat and the climate crisis by not telling us enough about it. Because one way that the mainstream media, the corporate media, one way the corporate media tells lies or is less than, forthright is by lies of omission if they were to do their job and to tell us what is really happening then they would be telling us a lot more we would if they if they were telling us what is really happening then they would be alerting uh skiers that skiing is going to disappear in the very near future because of climate change they would be talking to scuba divers that you know scuba diving is Uh, in the coral reefs is going to disappear in the foreseeable future if you actually want to see living things in the coral reefs because the coral reefs are dying. If they were doing their job, they would be telling us about the connection between climate change and drought and starvation and mass migration. So it says here in Bernie Sanders' Green New Deal that climate change is not only the single greatest challenge facing our country it is also our single greatest opportunity to build a more just and equitable future but we must act immediately so when i talk to people about climate change the sense i get or what we've all been kind of indoctrinated in is the idea that we all must make great sacrifices and that we might not be able to do it because of human nature and because oh we are so profligate we are so wasteful human beings are aggressive by nature and human beings can't cooperate with each other and oh i don't recycle enough and oh i drive too much well that's exactly where the powers that be want us to be they want us to blame ourselves they want us to feel helpless they want us to think uh, that they that we might be doomed because of human nature, because we consume too much. They want us to blame ourselves. They want us to not be able to see positive uh, solutions, collective solutions. They want us to not be able to see a collective future for ourselves. They also want us to think that saving the planet requires great sacrifice, and we maybe we just can't do it. But what they don't want you to know is that We have an opportunity to create a whole new world. We have an opportunity to create abundance that has never been seen before. We have an opportunity to create a world in which human beings have all the things that we need and we have many of the things that we want because the resources of the planet are distributed equitably and fairly and because we actually get to have a democracy that works for everybody. So let's keep reading through Bernie Sanders' Green New Deal, and let's look for opportunities to create a world in which human beings have everything they need and much more of what they want. Paragraph two. Now, this is my numbering system. If if you want a numbered version of Bernie Sanders' Green New Deal, then email info at theclimatereport.net. Paragraph two. Climate change is a global emergency. The Amazon rainforest is burning. Greenland's ice, ice shelf is melting, and the Arctic is on fire. People across the country and the world are already experiencing the deadly consequences of our climate crisis, as weather, as extreme weather events like heat waves, wildfires, droughts, floods, and hurricanes upend entire communities, ecosystems, economies, and ways of life, as well as endanger millions of lives. Communities of color, working-class people, and the global poor have borne and will bear this burden disproportionately so one idea in this paragraph is that you know climate change is not only real but the catastrophic effects of climate change are already occurring the climate the catastrophic effects of climate change are in the past and the present not in the vague and unspecified future So look at all the things that are being named here. Heat waves, wildfires, droughts, floods, hurricanes. What does it take to get leaders that acknowledge this and are willing to take appropriate steps in the right direction? And yet, when Bernie Sanders introduces the Green New Deal... The lead headline in the New York Times focuses on the cost. So the Green New Deal is going to cost sixteen trillion dollars. What they don't talk is the in what they don't talk about is the incalculable cost of not addressing climate change. So I was taught that in the American system we place value on human life and A lot of people believe that the American system places value on human life, but actually we don't in that, not we, I'm not talking about you and me, but our leadership is callous and indifferent as to human life. So my question is, how many people are going to have to die through war, through the effects of climate change, through the effects of deforestation and the loss of biodiversity, how many people, through the effects of our economic system, uh, our economic domination of other countries, through the effects of trade deals that make war on anybody that's not us, how many people are going to have to die before we call a halt to this unfettered capitalism that? where nature is only of value when you can, you know, harvest it and make a profit from it. So can we convert to a system that does place value on human life? Because it's obvious to me that countless people die every day because we have a system that does not, in fact, place value on human life. That needs to change. Another thing that it says here is that communities of color, working class people, and the global poor have borne and will bear this burden disproportionately. So the question in my mind is, can we talk about the true impact of the system that we have, and can we make human life a priority? Paragraph 3. The scientific community is telling us in no uncertain terms that we have less than 11 years to transform our energy system away from fossil fuels to energy efficiency and sustainable energy. If we are going to leave this planet healthy and habitable for ourselves, our children, grandchildren, and future generations." so this 11-year figure is from the intergovernmental panel on climate change ipcc it's associated with the united nations and it is the international authority that gives the final word on what is the latest research related to climate change so there are people and elements in our culture that are just endlessly skeptical about whether climate change is a real threat and when Bernie Sanders or Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez or others say that we have 10 years to make serious changes they misconstrue that and they say that the world is going to end in 10 years well That's not what we're saying. We're not saying the world is going to end in 10 years. We're saying that scientists are telling us that there will be irreversible, irreparable harm if we don't seriously transform our system within 10 years. And the question in my mind is, why are we going to err on the side of caution or are we going to err on the side of stupidity? Are we going to err on the side of caution, or are we going to throw caution to the wind and do everything that the oil companies, the auto companies, and the airlines want us to do? Are we going to push our luck and push our luck and push our luck, or are we going to take reasonable measures to follow the advice of scientists? Continuing to read, As rising temperatures and extreme weather create health emergencies, drive land loss and displacement, destroy jobs and threaten livelihoods, we must guarantee health care, housing, and a good-paying job to every American, especially to those who have been historically excluded from economic prosperity." So, one thing it says here is that we must guarantee health care, housing, and a good paying job to every American. Another thing Bernie Sanders supports is free college. So, the talking heads and the pundits and those who serve power get on TV and say, Oh, Bernie Sanders wants to get, give everything for free free health care, free college. As if the rich and the powers that be don't line up at the government trough and get free everything. They get free technology. They get free military support. They get government contracts that put millions and sometimes billions of dollars into their uh, bank accounts. So the rich When it comes to getting free stuff from the government, that's what the rich do best. That's a major part of their plan for acquiring wealth. And they don't want you to know this. I'm not supposed to be telling you this. But government and the very rich have always been in bed together. And government has always primarily served the purpose of enriching the very rich. But they want you to believe in this propaganda that says America is all about lifting yourself up by your own bootstraps and if your life is not working out, it's your fault. Another thing the very rich don't want you to know about or believe is that government serves to redistribute wealth upwards. The war machine serves to redistribute wealth upwards. So one way they distribute... Wealth upwards is by giving free technology to companies like IBM and Apple and Microsoft and Boeing and the list goes on and on and on about companies that get technology free from the government and that serves to redistribute wealth upwards. Another way that wealth is redistributed upwards is by giving favoritism to companies like McDonald's and Taco Bell and KFC and all these national chains like Home Depot and Lowe's all these national chains benefit from laws that favor them and uh burden local business so why does why do national chains dominate every local economy. It's because laws and regulations are rigged in such a way as to favor them. For one thing, McDonald's and Taco Bell and KFC are not paying the true cost, the true societal cost of the business that they do. So the list goes on and on about how government serves to redistribute wealth from the poor, and the middle class to the very rich. So the very rich are very skilled at getting money from the government or rigging the system in their favor so that they have more opportunity and you have less. So therefore, it's entirely appropriate for the government to give free health care and free education. For one thing, these things pay for themselves. Even Giving homes to the homeless pays for itself in terms of having to spend less money on other things that happen. When the homeless get in trouble, like it, you know, when the homeless don't have homes, then whatever mental health problems might exist among the homeless get exacerbated and we employ prisons and things like that. When people don't get their basic needs met, it's much more expensive from a financial standpoint and from a human standpoint to provide for their needs or to do what society does to deal with. These pesky homeless people. So generally speaking, free government services pay for themselves and it's entirely appropriate to have free government services for education and health care and housing. Paragraph 4. The scope of the challenge ahead of us shares similarities with the crisis faced by President Franklin Delano Roosevelt in the 1940s. Battling a world war on two fronts, both in the East and in the West, the United States came together and within three short years restructured the entire economy in order to win the war and defeat fascism. So what this paragraph is referring to is a previous time in United States history when there was a mass mobilization, when we came together to accomplish something that was important. Now, it's unfortunate that all of the mass mobilizations that we can point to relate to war. It would be great if we could look to our history and point to mass mobilizations that are oriented toward peace now the green new deal was kind of a mass mobilization that pointed to peace or that you know that was peaceful in nature so now we need another mass mobilization that is not oriented toward war War, you can get mass mobilization because the rich and the very rich and the big business is behind it because they get to make a lot of money. Now we have something that's actually going to harm the interests of big business, but it's extremely important for us to do. And besides, our public policy should not be organized around the needs and interests of the very rich. Continuing to read. As president... Bernie Sanders will boldly embrace the moral imperative of addressing the climate crisis and act immediately to mobilize millions of people across the country in support of the Green New Deal from the oval office to the streets bernie will generate a, the political will necessary for a wholesale transformation of our society with support for frontline and vulnerable communities and massive investments in sustainable energy energy efficiency and a transportation transformation of our transportation <laughs> let me say that again transformation of our transportation system so, a key phrase here is moral imperative. Bernie Sanders will embrace the moral imperative imperative of addressing the climate crisis. So, this is a moral imperative. Not doing this is immoral. You know, I think at some level, the people, the talking heads on TV and the politicians who act like they care, but they really don't. At some level, they know they have to have moral legitimacy. You have to be at moral. You ha- There's this implication that if you believe something or advocate something, that we are doing the moral thing here, and we are doing the right thing, and we are doing that which is necessary and good. But you have to bring morality to the forefront and say, this is the moral thing. Why is it bad and wrong to let money rule our political system? It's because it's immoral. It's because too many things, too many immoral things happen when money gets to rule our system. It's because too many vulnerable and disenfranchised people and peoples get trampled upon when we allow money to run our system. So a system that is run by money is fundamentally and inherently immoral, we need to shift from the system we have to a system that is moral in nature. It says here, we must act immediately to mobilize millions of people across the country in support of the Green New Deal. So there are some people who want us to think that government either can't or shouldn't mobilize millions of people. There are people who want us to think that only private industry is capable of mobilizing people and that only private industry should be able to mobilize people. There are people who want us to think that only the free market creates jobs and that government jobs at best are a necessary evil. Now, that's a remarkable accomplishment of propaganda because the same people get their followers to believe that we should be spending a trillion dollars a year on the military. So on the one hand you want to say that economic health and well-being only comes from an unfettered free market system and that only the free enterprise system can be dynamic and create jobs at the same time you have you know, we basically have an economy that in large measure is driven by government spending on the military. So we're going to pick it up there next time and we're going to examine the question of what really creates jobs in our economy? What really creates technology and dynamic industries in our economy? That's all the time we have. Thank you for joining me. I hope you'll come back soon. Have a nice day. Uh, By the way, email info at theclimatereport.net if you have any questions, comments, or feedback. Thanks a lot. Bye now.